Good morning. How are you doing? Excellent. My name is Doug. I'm the high school pastor. There's probably some students over here. How are you all doing? How was first service? Good. I was in here. Great. Perfect. Uh, This morning, I get the exciting opportunity to talk to you about something that is near and dear to my soul. I get to talk to you about the soul. So we are going to talk this morning about how we can simplify our souls. In your journal, it will be on page 18. I encourage you to open it up to that. We will work through this together. Throughout our series on simplification, our messages have been very practical, very topical, very concrete, easy to grasp, and very challenging, easy to grasp, hard to do, and they've been very fruitful for me in my life. And this morning, we move on to the easy to understand, you know, simple topic of simplifying our souls. That is just Everyone already knows how to do that probably, so, you know, we'll just cut short. No, simplifying your soul is difficult, right? It's at the same time slightly vague and can sometimes be even hard to figure out what is a soul? Do I have a soul? Can I borrow your soul? How much does a soul cost? Where do I get one? And how do I simplify it? Who knows? Well, this morning, I hope to prove to you and to show you that we ought to be simplifying our lives so that our soul is affected. In fact, it's not enough just to simplify your life and simplify the stuff that you do. You can simplify your finances and your relationships, perhaps, and maybe your stuff. But if that's it, it's not enough. We must go on so that the simplification affects our soul and that our soul lives and is in harmony with the will of God. That's where we're going to go Today, But before we even get there, we probably should start with the soul. What is it? How does it work? And what's going on with that? Let me give you the popular conception or idea of what the soul is. Because how many of you, you probably have heard the word soul. You probably have some type of image that comes to mind. Maybe you have the picture, the picture of like, you know, in cartoons when Bugs Bunny dies or something like that. And then Whatever floats up, his spirit or something like that, this like slightly invisible thing, whatever that slightly invisible thing is, maybe that's what you think the soul is. Well, let me help you with giving you what our culture, our world, our universities are teaching, our young people teaching us what the soul is. And it's this, that you don't have one. (laughs) They say that you don't have a soul. You are just the combination of a bunch of stuff, right? That you are a combination of atoms, of skin cells, of bones, of muscles, and blood, and organs, and there's a pancreas in there somewhere, you got a brain, but that's it, right? It's just a whole bunch of combination of things. There's nothing that exists beyond that. I'm here to tell you that that's the wrong way of viewing yourself. There is something that exists in you, that exists over and above and beyond you, which gives your life purpose, which gives your body function, and it can exist without your body. That thing is your soul. I'm going to show you a clip that will help demonstrate the popular idea of what is going on with who you are. This clip is from a TV show called The Walking Dead. Have you ever seen that show? No, it's about zombies. There's no zombies in the clip, so don't worry. But what's happening in this clip is that they are at a scientist's center. I think it's the Center for Disease Control or something like that. And the doctor is going to explain 
It's, they're going to show a brain scan of a human being, right? And they're going to say, what's all that stuff? And he's going to explain how all the little synapses in our brain, that's you. And then he's going to show you when they go out. So check out this video and think about this is what the popular idea of a soul and a who, not a soul, of who you are. This is the popular idea of it. Check it out. What are those lies? It's a person's life. Experiences, memories. It's everything. Somewhere in all that organic wiring, all those ripples of light, is you. The thing that makes you unique and human. Those are synapses, electric impulses in the brain that carry all the messages. They determine everything a person says, does, or thinks from the moment of birth to the moment of death. The adrenal glands hemorrhage, the brain goes into shutdown, then the major organs. Everything you ever were or ever will be, gone. Dun, dun, dun. You're a zombie now. Well, are they right? Is that right? At first glance, you might go, oh, is, that, that, is that true? Well, no, it's not true. The synapses that fire in your brain, the things that are happening physically in your body are not all that is you. There is more to you than everything physical that you can see through the sciences of physics and chemistry. It's hard to think about. I'm going to give you an argument to... to about that philosophically. But before we even get there, there's a problem with accepting that there are souls. The popular culture, people who do not believe in God, do not want to accept that we are anything more than just our physical stuff that you can hold and see, right? Because if you admit that there are souls and that there are things about people that exist over and above and beyond them, where you're going to have a problem explaining some certain things. What's one of them? Probably the biggest one. Well, when your body dies, what happens to the soul? Where does it go? Does it go up into the sky? Does it hang around, around like the local Starbucks or something like that? Where does it go? And you're going to have to come up with a, a picture of the world that has souls in it. And then you're going you're gonna to end up with God. And they don't want to do that. So they always say, let's leave it all in the body, right? You're just a body. Well, let me give you one argument against that. We don't have nearly have enough time to get into all of the good stuff there is about it. But let me give you one argument. How many of you used to be children? <clears throat> okay, most people, there's a guy in the back, was just born, <laughs> he was a human, full-grown person. But no, everyone was once smaller, right? Probably in more <laughs> recent ways than one. But we were all children. And if you put a picture of yourself next to a picture of yourself now, you would think these two have nothing to do with one another, right? The fingernails are different. The skin cells are all different. The, even the parts of the heart have reproduced and like become different things. You've heard like the scientific facts about how we're constantly being, in a way, remade, and the parts that are, are with us are like eventually dying and being shed off, and the new ones are growing, right? So really, if we are just a combination of all that stuff, and we were once small little children, and now we're full-grown full adults, you're going to have to make sense 
of how a five-year-old version of yourself is the same thing as a full-grown human version of yourself. Because not all of the same parts are there. You've lost some and you've gained some. Because if we're just a combination of parts, if we lose one, we got problems. If I go out today and I'm driving my car and I get in a car accident and I lose my hand, like I Luke Skywalker myself, <laughs> someone did the, that was awesome. And I lose my hand, am I myself anymore? Have I, have I ceased to be Doug anymore? Because if I was a combination of everything that I was, now I'm not, I'm minus a hand, what am I? Well, it makes sense to us, and it seems to be that we want to say there's something that keeps us the same throughout change. Something keeps us the same throughout change. I was Doug as a five-year-old. I was myself. That was me. And I'm still me. And if I lose my hand, that's still me. Well, there, it's because there's something else. It's not just the sum total of my parts. There's something else that is making me me. That's your soul. That's your substance. We don't have enough time to fully explain. But here's what I want to do. I want to intrigue you. Uh, hopefully, if those sentences interested you and you want to know more, well, let's be nerds together. And I, here's what I want you to do. Go to the bookstore after this. Pick up this book. It's called The Soul by Dr. J.P. Moreland. It, is, it's, it will stretch you. It will probably confuse you. And it's slightly difficult. But I encourage you to check it out. If this is something you want to know more about, you want to uh, grow in this area, pick this up from the bookstore. And if you are completely lost on page six, which you probably will be, email me. I'd love to talk about it and hang out and we can be <clears throat> nerds together. So that is a philosophical truth about how you are a soul. You are more than just your body. You are something very special. You are a soul which death cannot end and only God can keep. That's exciting. That truth, that philosophical truth is grounded in biblical truth. Open up your Bible to Matthew 22. Because in Matthew 22, Jesus is going to give us an argument about how we are souls. What he's going to do is he's going to align himself with the Pharisees of all people, right? That sounds odd. He normally does not do that. But in this case, he will do that. And the people he will, he will correct are the Sadducees. The Sadducees are a group of leaders among the Israelite people during Jesus' time. And what they do not believe in is they do not believe in souls. And the way it plays itself out is they do not believe in the resurrection, right? The resurrection of the dead. They say, not possible. When you die, you're gone. The Pharisees, however, do believe in the resurrection, leading us to believe, and, and it proves to believe, that they do believe in souls. So the Sadducees are going to approach Jesus and ask him a question. It says this in 22, verse 23. On that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus asking him a question. They're going to ask him this, this weird question that will only really culturally make sense about uh, brothers dying and then people being remarried, right? Leading to a point that there's going to be an inaccuracy in Jesus' teaching is what they're thinking. That someone during the resurrection in heaven is going to be married to like seven different people. And they're like, well, who's they're going to be married to? Who's this person going to be married to? Jesus does two things. He corrects their, their bad view on what heaven is like and what marriage will be like in heaven. But he also goes on to correct their view about the resurrection and about souls. Jump down to verse 31. <clears throat> it says this. 
But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And he's going to quote the Old Testament. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And you've got to think about how he says it, because I think this is the most important part. He says it like this, in my opinion. Have you not heard or have you not read what was spoken to you? I am. I am. Maybe he just said it three times. I am, I am, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The present tense. I am these things. I am the God of these three people. Here's the problem. When that verse was written, when that, when that quote was said, who was dead? <clears throat> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this verse being very important to the Sadducees, and if you really study the scripture, you'll, you'll find out more. I encourage you to look more into it. But this verse is important to them. It's kind of like their, their uh, keystone verse, right? So he throws this at them, and they're like, yeah, we got it. We got it. But then he says, I am the God of those three people, all dead. And then I think they start to realize what he's going to do. He's going to pull a literary trick on them. And he says this. God says, Jesus says, he is not referring to God. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Because if he were, if there were no resurrection and there were no souls and we do, did not go on living after we died, he would have said, I was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But no, he said, I am. Meaning that they're still alive. Meaning that we have souls and that the resurrection is real and that you are not just your body, but you are something more than that and you go on living. Well, he effectively completely silences the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, and are all amazed and everyone is very excited, right? And Jesus affirms that we have souls. But why? Why is that important? Why is it important that we have a soul? Well, let me give you a brief word picture. The soul can be thought of like a chest of drawers. Does everyone know what I'm talking about if I say chest of drawers? Like an Ikea, big Ikea cabinet that's got a lot of drawers in it. Hopefully you've seen that before. You probably have five of them and they've all broken. Um, there's a bunch of drawers and that, you know, your soul is, is, is all of that and there's drawers. Those drawer, drawers are faculties. You could, it's not the right way of thinking about it, but it helps. You think of it as parts, right? There's parts of your soul, right? There's parts of your soul. One part of your soul is your mental capacities, your mental faculties, in that you reason, in that you can do logic, right? Another one would be your vision, right? The, the, the faculty of vision, in that you can see and you can do all these things. Well, let me make sense of the complicating spirit-soul problem. Your spirit is a part, is a faculty of your soul, so yes, you are a spirit in that it is a part of what your soul is. Well, why is that important? Well, because in Romans, it talks about what the role of your spirit is. In Romans 8, 16, it says, The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The soul is important because it houses everything that is you. And what it houses is your spirit. And your spirit's main responsibility and your spirit's main job is to connect with the spirit of God. So your soul, shown to us by God, is incredibly important because in it houses everything that is about you. And most importantly, it houses your soul, which is our main way of connect connecting with the spirit of God. This is really important. 
If we're simplifying, let it be to that end. That our souls are simplified so that our spirits may connect with God. So, you are a soul. That is our first point. You are a soul. Jesus affirms it. It's philosophically true. We need to realize that this is the most important part about us. And then if that's the most important about us, we need to seek to remove what impedes or blocks or clogs our soul's ability to connect with God. And to give you a picture of what I mean, I have to show you the tree I planted. What do you think? Pretty good? I almost broke it first service, so hopefully this time I don't break it. This tree is a beautiful tangerine tree. It will grow up to be nice and awesome and beautiful and wonderful. But this soul for this, this tree for this morning will be my soul. What do you think? Pretty good? I think this is where our soul lives, right at your neck probably, right? This is our soul. I don't know. Our soul, this is me. This is my soul, right? It's growing. It's alive. It's rooted in this dirt here. And it it exists. It can breathe. It can live. And it's living. Here's the problem. Because in our lives, a lot of things that we do start to become chaotic and start to crowd our soul's ability to just naturally be connected with God and naturally grow. And over the last four weeks, we've been learning about what these things are. Maybe you said the Sabbath, right? I haven't really taken a Sabbath in a long time. And the chaoticness of that and the fact that I feel no rest has been wearing on me, right? So you, in a way, you place this, this problem, this, this rock here against your soul. And you put stress on it and it begins to lean. And you're like, okay, yeah, I got that. That's kind of a problem. But also, really, my relationships are pretty much completely a mess, right? And I got this heavy rock. And yes, my soul is there, absolutely. But at the same time, it's pretty much just being totally trampled upon by my chaotic relationships. And my soul begins to lean. It's not going to be destroyed. Only God houses our soul. Only God can control our soul like that. But we start to provide an environment which is very harsh and very difficult for our soul to live in. And then you think, okay, yeah, but I got a lot of stuff. <laughs> and this rock represents all my stuff. I can't, I can't simplify my stuff. I can't simplify my finances. And this rock starts to get wedged in there. And then if we're talking personally, I have no time in my life. And you think, I'd like to simplify my time, but whoa, I should have chosen a lighter rock. <laughs> And I got a lot of problems with my time. And my poor soul is sitting there. And as I'm holding this really heavy rock, I'm glad that I go to Calvary Fitness or else I couldn't do this. But, and you think, I got a lot of problems with my time. I really do. And they sit squarely. They sit squarely on top of my soul. Don't fall and break Dave's leg. They sit, well, they're sitting right there, (laughs) squarely on your soul, right? Oh, oh. my soul's got problems. (laughs) Pray for my soul. (laughs) And you're like, I got it. We're good. My soul is there. Everything is fine, right? It's not the best place for a tree to grow. I wanted to keep this tree. Jesus talks to people like this. 
talks to the, he turns from the Sadducees, he turns to the Pharisees. He says, Pharisees, we, we got problems too. Because the Pharisees who do believe in souls, they do believe in the inner life, but there is something more to you. They, though, are choking out. They are suffocating and they are dying on the inside because they're working on the outside. It says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside they are all full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And for a lot of us, we have, it, we have this inner life. We have this soul that's suffocating. In a lot of ways, dying on the inside. Because we're working on everything that's on the outside. We're working on everything that's on the outside. And throughout this series, what we've been aiming to do is help you simplify. Help you be able to remove these stones. Take them back off of you by the power of the Spirit of God to simplify our time. Poor tree. To simplify our relationships. We often call this putting off the old man, the old person. Putting off the old and putting on the new. Being spiritually disciplined. Being spiritually sanctified. We remove these rocks. Hebrews calls it putting off the sins which so easily entangle us. Putting those things off so that we can then This is a miracle. This is a miracle plant. Then we so then now can live again. Simplified. Rooted. Connected. And you may think, we're done. I removed all the rocks. I simplified. I did the series. I'm the best Christian ever. Now I'm done, right? Well, no, I I don't think so. I think God calls us at this point to the most exciting part of our journey says this that we ought to be simplifying our souls well what does this look like well this is it's going to look a lot different and if you'd like to know more about that process of removing things and about what it's going to look like now to start to tend to our souls and start to do this i encourage you to go to the bookstore and pick up this book it's called soul keeping by Orberg, he's going to use not a tree, but a stream as an example. That we ought to be tending to our souls like we tend to a stream. And he goes through a lot of conversations with Dallas Willard in this book. I encourage you to pick that up in the bookstore. And for us, I just want to bring out a few points. Go to John 15. Because in John 15, I think Jesus gives a picture of what we're supposed to do at this point in our lives. He says this in 15.5. I am the vine... You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, I'm a very black and white thinker sometimes. I'm a very, give me the five steps and I'll do them. Uh, give me the one thing I got to do and I'll do it. Well, it's going, this is going to turn weird. <laughs> 
Because now we begin the mysterious union of our spirit with God's spirit. We begin to be affected by the Lord more. When we've cleared ourselves, when we sit and pray, when we sit in silence and let the Lord affect us and the spirit of God begins to be formed within us and we start to see in ourselves the life of Jesus and we start to be affected and have feelings about things and have different types of emotions and have different types of desires, there is this mysterious bond of spirits. God calls it abiding like two vines abide. I can't give you the three steps. All I can say is clear your space. Find time and sit with the Lord. Sit with the Lord and read his word. Pray. Look at your life. Realize that the cross, salvation, is for you. That Jesus died on the cross for you and for all of the bad in you. And that we need to go through our lives, find what needs to be redeemed and offer it up to the Lord so that we can slowly be remade in the image of Christ. What begins to happen is what we see happening in Hebrews 12. What we've been looking at all throughout our series, this. In Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangled us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. What we begin to see is the life of Christ formed in us. Our morality changes. Our ethics change. The way we talk to people changes. We start to live a, a life of Christ which is very generous. We start to be generous with our time with our finances, with our things. We start to love more. We start to portray who Christ was, who Jesus was on earth in our own lives. And it's through this mysterious connection that we have in our souls. Let me give you one one concrete thing that you can do. And I really want you to do this if you can. Out by the bookstore, out in the front of it, there are two tables. And on those tables are, are this handout. It's completely free. I'd like you to take it. It says, The Prayer of Recollection in Colossians. It's from Dr. John Coe from Talbot Theological Seminary where I go to school. What it is, is it's a prayer that you could pray at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, but I would encourage you to do it if you could at the beginning of the day, because what it's going to do is it's going to re reawaken you, help you get to a place where you realize that you are not the things which surround your soul. You are not just a person who has to worry about their time. You are not just a person who has to worry about all these things. You are nothing more but a child of God rooted in his love. What it's going to do is it's going to take you through five steps. And then after each step is a prayer that you can pray. The first step says, present and open your heart to the Lord and intend to learn from him. And then you pray this prayer. Lord, I am here. I present myself to you. Open my heart to the truth of what is going on in my life. And they give you a verse you can look at. Romans 12, 1 through 2. And you pray through this. And as you pray through this, what is happening is you are waking up to the reality that you have a new identity in Christ. A new identity which puts off the old things puts off the sin which so easily entangles us and begins to form Christ in our lives. That's my goal. That's our goal. Through this Simplify series that you would have simplified these areas of your life so that to the end of, that the goal would be your life, your soul be connected with Christ, abiding in Him 
and seeing the Spirit of God remake who you are. And these books, this handout, are all steps to figuring that out. What we're going to do now is we're going to take an extended discussion time. You have about probably about five minutes. And what we're going to do is I want you to discuss what the whole series has meant to you. Out of all of them, out of all of the topics which we've talked about how to simplify, which one has been difficult, which ones have been, you know, easier to do for you, or you feel like you already had them simplified, discuss with the people around you. And if you can, get to the topic of how are these things affecting your soul. So five minutes, discuss with the people around you, and then we'll have a time to journal at the end of that. Thank you.
All right, I hope you had a good conversation with the people around you. I hope that simplification is something that is real in your life and that you even just took some small steps to simplifying over the last month. Um, I hate to say it, you know, simplification is a lifelong goal, but for us, we're, we're done with this series. That was it. Um, I pray, though, that, like I said before, that simplification is something that has happened in your life. I want you to inwardly contemplate now what that simplification looks like, how it's really affected you, as we go on to journal about your experiences through this simplification process. Again, you have an extended time to journal, to think about how these things are affecting your soul. What I'd like for you to do specifically in this is look at the same thing. What have you been able to do successfully? What things have been hard? But more so, how is this affecting your inner life? Is the simplification giving you freedom in your soul? Is the chaotic complication giving you chaos in your soul? Think about these things. Journal about them. And we will celebrate the series uh, and, and what's going on here at Calvary through worship after that.
All right. I pray that this series has meant something to you, that you have found rest, that you have found simplicity in your life. And I hope today even you've found rest in your soul and you've felt a deeper connection. I pray that you continue on these same themes throughout your whole life. Uh, But as we look forward to a a time of speaking about generosity and what that looks like in our life, I pray that we carry over these same themes. As we move on now to celebrate what God's doing in our lives, what God has done through this series, we have stations for you around the room which you could come and give your offering. You could also come and take communion as well. Uh, We thank you so much for being part of what we're doing here at Calvary. Let me pray for us, and we will move on to a time of worship. Lord God, thank you so much for what you're doing here at Calvary, Lord. Thank you for providing for us for so many years, Lord. I pray that you continue to bring us together, that you begin to unify us more and more every every day, Lord that we begin to simplify our lives so that our souls may be in better connection with you. God, we love you so much. We pray that you multiply and that you, you give us grace in our efforts in this, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.